So we are going to dedicate this year to a friend of my wife's, Michael ben Rivka, that uh, he should have a refuah shlema. You can take a moment, and if there's somebody you know who's sick, you want it to be in Ilui, that they should have also a refuah shlema. So, sababa. We're in Parshat Truma. Parshat Truma is where things take a turn. Till now, lots of stories. Avram, Yitzchak, Yaakov, Yosef, the brothers, Yitzhak, Mitzrayim, Moshe, Harsinai, even Mishpatim. <coughs> now all of a sudden we enter the world of the Mishkan. Truma Tetzaveh, Payakov Pekudeh, half of Kitisa. What is this doing here? I'll tell you a quick story that I heard from Rav Yotav Eliach and I actually found somebody who had told the story online. It was a nice piece. So if you want, you can send me a WhatsApp and I'll send this to you. Um, Yotav Eliach uh, is an educator from the Five Towns. Some of you may know him. Um, he actually did the army. He used to come back here every summer to do Miluim, which is pretty impressive. And he, one of the things he used to do is sometimes bring groups to Israel. And this is a particular group of yeshiva kids and non-yeshiva kids. And they were here on like, I don't know, whatever, a few week trip. And at the end of their trip, one of their last stops, the last day, they went to Har Herzl. Har Herzl is a very difficult place to visit. Um, I will take you there, Mitzvah Shem and Yemazikaron, to visit some friends of mine who are no longer with us in some ways. And any group that goes to Har Herzl, it's got to give you a pause. And he's talking to them about what a great means and what it means that there's a couple whose son is lying there in the family. And as he's talking, this older man and woman walk through the rows of kvaros, and they stop by a kever, by a grave, and they, you know, put a candle there and start lighting flat, whatever they're doing, and the mother starts crying. And he realizes he's talking about it, and it's like, here it is. This is what he's talking about. This is a set of parents, and they're crying over their children. The son made the obvious sacrifice. So when he finishes talking, you know, it's close to them, and he says, uh, would you tell us a little uh, about your son? You know, so that we can honor his memory. And the mother starts talking. And she says her son's name was Erez Deri, and he was at Sanchan, he was a paratrooper. And he was killed in the summer of 2006 in the Second Lebanon War, I believe. And, uh, and she talks about him and who he was. But that's not the strange thing. The strange thing is that she says that she had a dream the night before. And he came to her in a dream. True story. This boy, Erez, this Sanchan, came to her in a dream the night before. And he said to her in this dream that they weren't Zohar to bring him to a chuppah. They never got to bring him to stand under a chuppah and get married. But he asked her if she would find a way to dedicate a Sefer Torah in his memory. Because the Sefer Torah... Is, that's like the ksuba we have that represents the chuppah, right? That's, that's our marriage document to Akash Baruch And he says to her, right, because she's clearly in the dream saying, how am I, like, what am I? And he says, if you will go to Har Herzl tomorrow, there's a good group of people, they will come and they will help you. And she doesn't know what to do, but it felt so real to her, so she goes to his kever the next day. If you have a dream like that about yourself, you go to the kever. And this group shows up and they start talking to her. And something about the way she says this story and something about her and her tears move them. And one of the kids, a kid, not Rav Yotav 
blurts out and says, we're going to raise the money and we're going to dedicate a Sefer Torah and we're going to come back here in a year, next summer, and we're going to bring the Sefer Torah. <coughs> and you watch this on a video and these kids are talking, something about her, and they did. They got together, and these are secular kids, yeshiva kids, a whole mix. Mamish Amisar. And they got together and they raised the money and they dedicated a Sefer Torah. And they came back the following summer and if I understand correctly, they went to Malaya Dunim and they wrote the last letters of this Sefer Torah in his room. They opened up the Sefer Torah on his desk, in his room, with his parents standing there, and they finished writing the Sefer Torah. And then they danced with the Sefer Torah to the shul where he used to daven. And I saw a video piece, because once you hear the story, you look it up online. If you can't find it, I'll send it to you. And you see hundreds of people, I mean religious and secular and Haredim and Chilonim, every label you can think of. Mamash Am Yisrael. They're dancing the Sefer Torah. And I was thinking about this. Why is that a nechama to this family? What is it about that experience? A Sefer Torah taken to a Beit Knesset, why is that so powerful? And to understand that, and to understand why this is so powerful, what we're doing here, I want to share with you an idea. What is this doing here? Why, are we to- why do we stop the narrative? Why are we talking about truma and tetzaveh and building a mishkan? Now, most of you probably know that there's a big machlokas, there's a big debate. It's a debate between, although it's not only, but we're going to call it Rashi and the Ramban. And it concerns why we have a mitzvah to build a mishkan. Does anybody know what Rashi says? Why are we given a mitzvah to, to build a mishkan? Anybody know? Nobody? No? Anybody know? So Rashi, in Perak Laman Aleph, right? Actually in Kithisa, Rashi says the following. Ein muktam umuchar batorah. There's no order. There's no chronological order in the Torah. Right? Which is in what parasha? Nope. What parasha is Cheta Egel in? Kitisa. We're now in Truma. Followed by Tetzave, then Kitisa. Rashi says Cheta Egel happened before the Mishkan. Right? Yamim Rabimaya. The Luchot were broken on the 17th of Tammuz, right? That's when Moshe Rabbeinu comes down, you know, after 40 days on the mountain, right? And Akash Baruch finally makes peace with Bnei Israel, right? Moshe Rabbeinu spends three days cleaning up the mess. They kill 3,000, the Leviyam, everything else going on. Now there's a mess. The Luchot are broken. Harsinai is undone. So Moshe has to go up again. He goes up on the 20th of Tammuz. He goes up for 40 days. When does he come down? What's 40 days after Rosh Chodesh Tammuz? Nope. Come on, do a little counting. What's 40 days after Rosh Chodesh Tammuz? Nope. Tishabab. How could the ninth of one month be 40 days after the 20th of another? Think about that. Right? Come on. Tammuz of Elul. What's 40 days after the 20th day of Tammuz? Rosh Chodesh Elul. That's when he comes down. And what do the Jewish people give him when he comes down? 
Nobody? I should keep you here for an hour, but I'm not going to do that. <coughs> Kapara. He brings down forgiveness. You're forgiven, whatever that means. Hashem works out a deal with him. But they got a problem. Because there's still no luchot. Like this whole thing was designed to bring the Torah. So Moshe has to go up again on Rosh Chodesh Elul. He literally comes down, says hello, and goes back up again. Which is a whole interesting question, but okay. He goes back up for 40 days. What's 40 days after Rosh Chodesh Elul? Yom Kippur. What happens on Yom Kippur? Why is Yom Kippur Yom Kippur? It's Yom Kippurim. Because he comes down with the second luchot. Now here it gets interesting. What happens the day after Yom Kippur? Very important event happens the day after Yom Kippur. According to Rashi. Nobody knows? Oh, people have not been doing Shnai Nikra. Okay? <laughs> 40 days, you can look this up. 40 days after Yom Kippur is Parshat Vayakel Moshe. Moshe gathers Jewish people together. Rashi there says, and he does what? He tells them there's a mitzvah. We're going to build a Mishkan. And Rashi there says, Lemacharat Yom Kippurim. So says Rashi, the Chete Egel happened on Shavas Abitamas. Moshe gathers together the day after Yom Kippur, ipso facto. The mitzvah to build a Mishkan happens after Chet Egel. Okay. Now the Ramban disagrees. The Ramban generally has an issue with the concept of the Tzivui on, on Binyan and Mishkan. So what does the Ramban say? Right? In our parsha, the Ramban Perakhafe, the beginning of, uh, of um, Parsha Truma, that didn't mark, I apologize. Ramban says like this. This is the Ramban. Right? It is worthy that a Jewish people who is supposed to be Mamlechet Kornim Vagoy Kadosh, who's supposed to be a holy nation, should have a place where the Shechina can rest. The Ramban says, no, this is what happened after Har Sinai. Hashem says, now you're a holy nation, you've been given Torah, you, 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 need, a, you need a Mishkan. <laughs> the, the first big mitzvah after our Sinai is the Mishkan. The Iker Zach, the main idea of having a Mishkan, the center of the Mishkan is in Aron, we're supposed to have the Luchot there, and listen to this line from the Ramban. V'soda Mishkan. The secret of the Mishkan. It's to recreate. It's to give us the experience of Har Sinai. That we should hang on to the experience of Har Sinai. It's to recreate Har Sinai. That we should experience Har Sinai. So Ramban says, this is here. Because this is when it happened. We have to have a Mishkan. Rashi says, no. This is not what it happened. The Chet Egel happens first. The Mishkan occurs because of Chet Egel. Now, there are a bunch of questions here. First of all, what's this Machloket about? What are they really arguing about? Second of all, if Rashi says that the mitzvah to have a Mishkan is only because of Chet Egel, ask me an obvious question. The only reason we have a mitzvah to build a Mishkan is because of Chet Egel. That's what Rashi says. So we weren't supposed to have a Mishkan? In an ideal Judaism, there would be no Mishkan? And by the way, the Mishkan is the predecessor of... So maybe in an ideal world, we shouldn't need a base of Mikdash? Now, by the way, I give you a whole philosophy for why we don't need a base of Mikdash. Base of Mikdash is a place where 
you know, we can feel Hashem. We should feel Hashem everywhere. Maybe if there's no Chet Egel, we can feel Hashem everywhere. We don't need a Mishkan. The only problem is, A, nobody else says that. There's no mucker for saying that. And as we're going to see, it's very difficult to say that you don't ideally need a Mishkan. Right? Another question, according to Rashi, if, if the mitzvah to build a Mishkan only happens after Chet Egel, what other question do we have this week? Right, what is this doing here? Why is Truman Tetzav before Chet Egel? If according to Rashi, the mitzvah only happened after Chet Egel. And by the way, according to the Ramban, I understand why according to Rashi, now you need a Mishkan. We have to figure out what a Mishkan is. But they were supposed to get into Eretz Yisrael right away. What was supposed to happen when Moshe Rabbeinu comes down from Har Sinai? This is going to be stark. He comes down with the Luchot, everybody's so happy, they have a big dance, they do a Chnasa Sefer Luchos, and they go straight there to Israel. In fact, some of the Makaros, some of the sources say, they're not even going to, it's going to be unbelievable, it's going to be a miracle. They're going to walk for two minutes and be in Eretz Israel. So they don't need a Mishkan. Because they're going to go to Eretz Israel. By the way, if they go to Eretz Israel at this point, right after, and there's no Chet HaEgel, and there's certainly no Chet Maraglin, what would be different about them entering Eretz Israel if they had done it right after Harsinai? Zish, what do you think? What would be different? It's always going to get you in trouble. What would be different now? Yeah? Moshe would be the leader. Moshe would be the leader. They go to Moshe Rabbeinu. Oh, the rabbis have a field day with this. If Moshe Rabbeinu would have brought them in, they would have built the piss of Mikdash right away. It would have lasted forever. There would be no gullus. We would not have taken a Poland trip because there would have been no Holocaust. The whole world would have been different. So you're going to be in Eretz Yisrael tomorrow. You don't need a Mishkan. But according to the Ramban, why do you need a Mishkan now? Why do you need a Mishkan? I understand according to Rashi, you need a Mishkan because Chet Egel happened. But according to the Ramban, Chet Egel hasn't happened yet. What do you need a Mishkan for? Just go straight and build a Mikdash. So who makes more sense? <laughs> what do you think? Who makes more sense? The Ramban or Rashi? The Ramban says the Parshat are in order and Chet Egel happened afterwards. Rashi says, no, Truman Tetzaveh only happens because of Chet Egel. So who makes more sense on the face of things? Come on. Pardon? Who, who do you think makes more who says Rashi? Really, you think Rashi makes more sense? We put Truman Tetzava here, even though the Chet Egel doesn't happen? I'm looking at Phil. Even through his mustache, I can see he's winking his... No? What do you think? Pardon? The Ramban. Because he sounds like the Ramban, right? Okay. The Ramban, I mean, it seems to me, first of all, right, in Shmot Perak Chavdali, this is very interesting, middle of Parshat Mishpatim, right? It says like this, um... I can find it. Perak of Dalit, Pesach Yud Bet. It says like this, in the middle of Mishpatim, there's this little miniature recreation of Harsina. Right? And it says like this, Come up to the mountain and be there. By the way, not our topic, but I can't resist. John Wayne, are you with me? I can't resist not asking this question. Come up to me on the mountain, and be there. Ask me an obvious... If you don't ask this question, forget it. I'm sending you to Nativaria. Come on. No? <laughs> Good we recorded that, right? Okay, great. No? No? Come on. Ask me a question. Pardon? If, I, if you come up, I'm obviously there. What does it mean, come up to me and be there? The Kutzko Rebbe, listen to this. This is unbelievable. You get nothing else out of the shit with this line. Kutzko Rebbe says... Just because you walk up the mountain doesn't really mean you're there. 
You got to be there. Come into the base medrash, but be here. <coughs> Everybody, follow me now. Ooh. This is a deep idea. Middle of mishpat. It's not in Truma. It's not in Har Sinai. I'm going to give you the Torah and the mitzvah that I wrote. Who wrote the Torah and the mitzvah? To teach them. He's up on our Sinai for 40 days. Now this is interesting. I understand what the luchot are. Those are the luchot. He comes down and breaks them. What's the Torah and the mitzvah? What is that? Hashem says, I'm giving you the luchot, the Torah and the mitzvah. What are the Torah and the mitzvah? By the way, every parish here has a different opinion, right? What this Torah and the mitzvah is. It's not clear, right? One day it says the Torah and the mitzvah is actually, this seems to be the Ramban, is actually the mitzvah of Truma. I'm going to give you the mitzvah of building the Mishkan. That fits with the Ramban. One day it says, Rashi says that Torah of a mitzvah is called Tariyak mitzvah, all 613 mitzvah. Interesting. All the mitzvahs. So, the Ramban seems to make more sense. If, if all the mitzvahs are given now, then why is Truma being put here? Truma is the only thing that wasn't given up there. Because according to Rashi, the mitzvah of building the Mishkan is over there in the Any other mitzvah could have been put here according to Rashi. Why are we putting Truma here? According to Ramban, what was taught up on our Sinai? The mitzvahs of the Mishkan. Now that's going to leave us with the question, why am I giving the mitzvah of the Mishkan here? But I understand what this is doing here. Second of all, it makes sense according to the Ramban because Moshe gets the Luchot. Let me ask you a question. <laughs> what do you think about this Luchot? Big, little, heavy, light? What do you think? Big, Big heavy. heavy. So Moshe gets down. He's got a Luchos. Right? What's going to be his first logistical challenge? He's got the Luchos, right? He has to go to the bathroom. What does he do with the Luchos? He's got to put them somewhere. Where does he put them? So it makes sense according to Ramban. You got the lucho, we need a place to put them. Let's build an aron, but don't just put an aron on the shelf in the back of the car. You build a mishkan. Even if we're just here for a day, it makes sense to me. Okay. And third of all, once the mishkan is built, where do we receive the rest of the mitzvot? Anybody remember this? This is the beginning of a yikra. Anybody remember this? Me'ala kaporet. From now on, all the mitzvot are given me'ala kaporet. There's a curtain between the Kodesh Kadashim and the Kodesh, opposite the Aron. The voice of Hashem comes out. That's where you go to the Mishkan to get the Torah. So if that's where you go to get the Torah, why is an interesting question? We'll get to that in a second. Then the Ramban makes a lot of sense. Now the rest of the mitzvahs you're going to get from the Mishkan. It's not going to be up on the mountain. It's going to be down here. We could have a whole shear about how the Torah has to come from the people, whatever. So we're going to build a Mishkan so you can get the rest of the mitzvah. What about Rashi? By the way, isn't this a great idea? On Har Sinai, the laws of the Mishkan are given. That's why Truma and Tetzav are here. And that's why we need the Mishkan. Great idea, right? The only problem is, I went looking for this idea. Nobody says this. Nobody. Not the Sfarno, not the Chizkuni, not the Abarbanel, not the Ramban, not Rashi. Nobody says this. So this can't be the right answer. It can't be that Benny Friedman came up with this great idea. You know where I found this? I went looking. I put into Google a few different lines and I found an article by Menachem Liptag from the Gush. And he posits this as a great idea. Uh, but he also agrees nobody says this. When I saw that he says nobody says this, then I really know nobody says this. Okay. So, 
First of all, it wouldn't take 40 days to teach Truma and Tzavah. I mean, you can learn Truma and Tzavah, at least read the Psukim, which is how the Torah works. It's not giving us all Torah Shabbat Bet. Right? You can read it in, in, in a couple of hours. So it shouldn't take 40 days. And second of all, we have in other places the fact that there are more mitzvot that are given. There are other mitzvot that are given at Har Sinai. Can somebody give me a famous example of a mitzvah that was given at Har Sinai? So you can't say that there are no mitzvah given at Har Sinai. Anybody? Shiurim. Pardon? Shiurim. Pardon? Shiurim. Shiurim, what do you mean? No, no, no. A mitzvah that is given on Har Sinai in the Torah. Oh, the first two, um, I'll give you a hint. It's a, it's a Parsha name. It's late Thursday night, huh? You learned hard this week. The brain is slowing down. Bahar. Bahar Sinai Lemur. Hashem gives the mitzvah of Shemitah and other mitzvot there on Har Sinai. <coughs> so it's clear that there are mitzvah us. So what's going on here? So let me share with you an amazing idea. Why are the halachos of the Mishkan here? What is the purpose of a Mishkan? So first of all, the Ramban clearly says that the mitzvah of building a Mishkan is to perpetuate the concept of Harsinai. I'm not so sure. By the way, this is why we start off at the beginning of Truma with Vasuli Mikdash Veshachanti Betocha. That is the essential purpose of building a Mishkan. What does it mean, Vasuli Mikdash Veshachanti Betocha? It means that if we were on Harsinai and at Harsinai we experienced Hashem's presence, we have to have a way to keep Hashem's presence in our midst. And to do that, somehow we need to create a Mishkan. Right? And by the way, that's also why. What's the first thing that is built in the Mishkan? Right? We say, Parshas Truma. Anybody here laning the Shabbos? Parshas Truma, right? Right? There's three Truma. What's the first thing? All the Kalim we're going to build. We're going to build a menorah. We're going to build a Shulchan. We're going to put up the tent. We're going to have the Adanim. We're going to have the Krashim. All this stuff. What's the first thing described? The Aram. And everybody asks, why are you starting with the Aram? First build the tent. And then talk about building the Aram to put in it. Now it's famous Rashi. Rashi talks about this. How come Betzal is building an Aram first? Hashem tells him to build the Aram first. But according to Rabban, it makes a lot of sense. Because the whole purpose of the Mishkan is to house the Aram. To recreate the appearance the, the presence of Hashem through Torah. What about Rashi? Rashi seems to say the exact opposite. Right? If the Mishkan happens for, because of Chet Egel, what is Truman Tetzavah doing here? And, and, and what's the purpose of the Mishkan? So, what does Rashi mean? Ein Mukdam Muhar Batorah. It's a very important idea. What does it mean, Ein Mukdam Muhar Batorah? It doesn't mean there's no order to the Torah. Torah is in the Balagan. What Rashi is basically saying is that when Moshe Rabbeinu, and if you look at the Chizkuni, the Chizkuni talks about the fact that at the end of his life in, 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 in Sefer Dvarim, Moshe in the 40th year begins to write down all the pieces of the Torah. When Moshe writes down the pieces of the Torah, says Rashi, he's not writing it chronologically. It's not a history book. He's writing it thematically. In fact, one of the famous <coughs> things you find in Rashi is what's called Smichut Parshiot. Sometimes, like my Shemitah at Tzal Sinai, sometimes two topics are together because there's a message. Not because they necessarily happened in that order. And especially if Moshe Rabbeinu is writing this down in the 40th year, it's not important which order they happened in. What's important is what the message is. Right? So if that's true, then all I need to understand, according to Rashi, is why does Truma and Tetzavah, why does the Mishkan have to be right next to Har Sinai? So here it gets interesting. If you compare, and this I saw in Rav Menachem Liebtag's article, if you compare 
the building of the Mishkan to Chet Egel, you will notice some very interesting similarities. And I will give you three or four. First of all, when they build the Mishkan, okay, I will tell you what happens in the Mishkan, and you tell me what it reminds you of. Deal? Okay? Um, in Perak Chaf Hei, Pasuk Aleph, right, the beginning of Parshas Truma, Everybody has to go up a collection and bring all the gold and everything else. What does that remind you of? What happens to Chet Egel? Right? What happens to Chet Egel? Yeah? In Perak Lamed Bed, Pesach Bet, right? What does Aaron say to them? Perak Lamed Bed, Pesach Bet. Parku Nizmea Zahav, Aviu Eli. Take your gold, bring it to me. The same process. Give you another example. Okay? Who creates the Mishkan? Who plans and builds all the Caleb? There were two individuals that are mentioned. One of them is Oliav ben Achisamach. Who's the other one? Betzalel ben. Ori ben. Chur. Now, why are we mentioning Betzalel's grandfather? Whenever you find a grandfather mentioned in the Torah, there's a reason for it. But no Slavchad, okay? It mentions who Slavchad was all the way back to Menashe ben Yosef. Because somehow the energy of Yosef has to do with the story of Slavchad. So why are we mentioning that Betzalel is the grandson of Chur, right? Well, Rashi, in, right here in Perak Lamed Bet, plus... Uh, Hey, says very clearly. Chur, who is one of the two people who holds up Moshe's hands on the Giva above a Malik, Chur tries to stop them building the Chet Ega. He's the classic example of Tokacha that does not work. What do they do? They kill him. Chur disappears. So now Betzalel, the grandson of Chur, is going to build the Mishkan. Right? So the collection is the same, the person is the same, okay? Third example, right? We're going to take the presence of Hashem and bring it into the camp, correct? <coughs> what happens after Chet Egel? After Chet Egel, if you look in Perak Lamed Gimel, Pasuk Zayin, right? Moshe takes his tent and he takes it out of the camp. The Karalo Oel Moed, it becomes the Oel Moed. And everybody who wants to seek Hashem, who has a question, who struggles, he goes out of the camp to the Oel Moed. Look at that. Where is the Oel Moed supposed to be? Where is the Mishkan supposed to be? Anybody know? It's right in the middle of the camp. You have Machane Israel split up into four sections, three tribes in each, right? Yehuda's over here, Reuven's over here, and so on. Then you have Machane Levia, which is also made up of four groups of families in a circle. Then you have the Kohanim, and in the middle, 2,000 Amot for many people, is the Mishkan. So the Mishkan is meant to be in the middle of the camp, but in Chet Egel, the Olmoid is out of the camp. So let's think about this. In Chet Egel, they're collecting gold. They build the Mishkan, they're collecting gold. In Chet Egel, they kill Chur. When they build the Mishkan, Chur's grandson builds the Mishkan. In Chet Egel, 
the old Moed goes out of the camp. And the build the Mishkan comes back into the camp. Right? And by the way, Aaron, right, in Perakhaftet Pasuk Aleph, when we describe the Shmoni Yemei Luim, which is actually uh, referred to in Parashat Tetzaveh, um, Chavtet Pasuk Aleph, I think, you have to bring a par. You have to bring a bullock, which is an older egel. And Rashi points this out. Why do you think they bring a par when they dedicate the Mishkan according to Rashi? Kapara for the egel. So why, according to Rashi, is the Mishkan given to us as a mitzvah after Chet Egel? It's to, to be metaking, to fix the Egel. So we're left with only one question now. Why is Truman Tetzave here? Truman Tetzave is here because the entire point of the Mishkan is to mimic Har Sinai, is to recreate and capture that energy of Har Sinai. And therefore, says Rashi, place Truma and Tetzava thematically after Har Sinai, so that you'll understand that even though this comes after Chet Egel, the whole purpose of what we're doing here is to recreate Har Sinai. <coughs> and so even though the Ramban and Rashi are cholik on the relationship between Chet Egel and the Mishkan, they completely agree on the mitzvah of the Mishkan. And by the way, two last details and we'll finish. The first is, there's no way that even though Rashi feels that the Mishkan might not have been built, there's no way that Rashi says the base of Mikdash wouldn't have been built. First of all, we find in Az Yashir, I was going to make this a longer discussion, but I see you guys are tired. We find in Az Yashir, okay, Mikdash Hashem Koronu Yadecha. Right? In Az Yashir already, there's going to be a base of Mikdash. Right? Yaakov understands when he, when he leaves for the house of Esav, he finds this, El, this place called Beit El, which he calls Beit El. Ein Zekiim Beit Elokim. There's a need for a Beit Elokim. Right? And we find this in a number of places. So clearly, right, right, you're going to come back and you're going to need this base of Mikdash. This was always part of the plan and Shiratayam is certainly before Chet Egel. So assuming that Rashi agrees with the Ramban then and we're recreating Sinai, right, and now we understand why Rashi would say nonetheless thematically that the Mishkan belongs here, we're left with one last question. What do you do with this? So I want to finish with this thought. We were in Poland a few weeks ago. And there's so many big stories, so many painful stories. Sometimes you lose the little details. So we went to a place called Tarnov. Tarnov has a warm spot for me. Because my ancestors came from Tarnov. My great-grandfather left Tarnov. Um, my grandfather was the only one of eight children who was born in England. And because he saw what was coming or understood long before the Holocaust, uh, my family survived. And I was Zohar to go back to the Shoal, where he most probably davened. Or certainly he davened there at some point. Any kid who grew up on the west side of Manhattan, he might have been in Lincoln Square, he might have been in the Stiblach, he eventually went to the Jewish Center. There's no way any teacher didn't eventually go to the Jewish Center. So if, you go, if my grandchildren go to the Jewish Center, they could be pretty sure. Right? Why did some Shoals survive and some Shoals not survive? Why is it you go to some places and there are these magnificent shuls that survived and in some places everything is gone. It's very simple. If a shul was in the place where the ghetto was, they destroyed it. If it wasn't in the place where the ghetto was, they didn't destroy it. Why? Pardon? It's like a trick 
Pardon? Trophies. Trophies? Nope. Not so much trophies. Why would you destroy a building that's useful? You got a big building. You can do a lot of things. You keep your horses in it. Store your officers in it. Why would you destroy it? It has value. They think they're going to win the war. They're going to have property. Why would they destroy it? So why did they destroy the shoals? Because that was the place where people gathered. That was the place where people gained what? They gained inspiration. They gained hope. <coughs> and if you took that away from the Jewish people, the Nazis theorized, you broke them. What does it mean? Why do we need a Beit HaMikdash? Why do we need a place? Because when you went up to the Beit HaMikdash in that place, the feeling that you got, the ability to sense the presence of Hashem in your life, was so powerful, it had to impact you. In Mishpatim, in the middle of Mishpatim, look it up this Shabbos. There's a section that deals with the Shalosh Regalim. Shalosh Pamim Bashana Yerikos Chachar. That's a Pasuk in Mishpatim. Before Chet Egel, there was always going to be a Beis Mikdash. Because you have to have in your life those places where you can feel the presence of Hashem in your life. This was for me one of the most difficult things in the army. You're, you're in some base, in some Mutzav. You're constantly going in and going out, getting into the tank, getting into the tank. There's no, there, there was no, there was no presence. And I remember I, I came down from Lebanon and I felt so spiritually exhausted. And we get to this base in the Bikan, the Jordan Valley. It was the most boring four months of my entire army career. And I, I, but, I, but there was a shul on the base. And I'm like, thank God, there's finally a shul. I didn't get the fact yet that I was the only one who was using it. It's like something out of the movies. I walk into the shul. There's a 105 millimeter shell casing box, about yay big. It's an Aram. And I'm like so excited. I walk over, it's nothing in it. I blow and it's like fills with dust. There were some army sidurim, a few army chumashim, old parasha pieces there, nothing there. Just a big dust pile. It was depressing. There was no one in there. Nobody came to use it. And at the beginning, I just couldn't bring myself to daven there. But eventually, I went and I cleaned it up. I got a couple of cooks to help me. And I had a place I could go. And sometimes I could only go for sitting for five minutes. And sometimes, to be perfectly honest, I wasn't capable of sitting for a few hours. I was exhausted all the time. And it was just depressing. But to have a place that I knew that I could be my go-to place to just sit and learn a piece of Torah, that's what our scene was all about. And the Jewish people need that. This year is your opportunity to taste that. It's your opportunity to experience something, to feel yourself in the presence of something greater, to feel part of something bigger than yourselves. And it's a little easier to do that when you're here because you're surrounded by guys who want that and Rebbeim who want that and you're in a place that wants that you can't find a place that's more conducive to that than Yerushalayim. But you don't get to stay here forever. You're going to leave this place. And when you leave this place, do you take some of this with you? Do you recreate some level of Har Sinai? That's why, you know what Chazal did? There were only two or three things that they did as a result of the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash. When the Jewish people went to Bava, they created Bate Knesset. There has to be a place where you can feel the presence of Hashem in your life. What is the other place that the Jewish people created? that Chazal organized that we should recreate to some level the Beit HaMikdash, which was the place, according to Rabban, and I believe according to Rashi, that allows us to taste and re-experience our Sinai. What was the other place we did that besides Shul? Pardon? Nope, not the Beis Medrash, interesting enough. Pardon? Because the Beis Medrash is easy. You don't have to recreate it. You're sitting and learning Torah. No, the Shabbos table. <coughs> Did you ever notice that I'm very makbid to put salt on bread? Because that's a minute that stems back from the Beit HaMikdash. Because they used to put salt on the Karbanos. Right? We have two challahs Friday night. Two braided challahs. If you go into an old-style Jerusalem bakery and you look at their challahs, each challah has a certain number of braids. 
Anybody want to take a guess? How many braids are in a traditional Yerushalmi challah? Six. You know why? Because if you have two challahs with six braids each, what does that get? Twelve. What does that remind you of? That's the lechem apanim. There were twelve loaves of showbread on the shulchan. What that number represents is a great discussion for the Q&A afterwards, if you're curious. <laughs> right? We have Nerot Shabbat, which reminds us of the Ner Tamid. Some of us have the custom to smell Basamim on Friday night. That's my custom. It's based on your Shalmi. And on the Gemara and Shabbos and Daphne and Gimel. And it was my Rebbe's Minag. Lezecher HaKtoret. We recreate something. And the question becomes, what do we recreate? So we get to Truma. And Harsina is behind us. And all the great stories are behind us. Is that it? Are we done? Does Torah become just a collection of details? Or do we succeed in taking that energy and infusing <coughs> halacha and Torah and our mitzvah with that energy? That's the challenge of truma. That's why me'it kolisha sheri bo. This is a mitzvah that demands ratzon. You have to want it. And Rashi says, right? Take for me truma, li lishmi. This has to be done lishma. If you donate to the Mishkan and you're not doing it lishma, you can't give it to the Mishkan. In fact, there's something unique about a mitzvah that you do for the base of Mikdash. The Rambam passed in this way, Nilchos base of Bechira. Where would I find that? Where would Nilchos base of Bechira? Which safer? Avoda, very good. The Rambam says if you quarry a stone, and it's a beautiful stone, and somebody comes along and wants to use it for the base of Mikdash, he's not allowed to do it. It has to be quarried the same binyan amikdash. That is a very unique mitzvah. When you write a get, you have to write a get, right? L'shem mitzvah skitin. Right? But you don't have to make the cloth l'shem gitin. You can just take any cloth, it doesn't matter, except for the base of mikdash. Because the foundation of the base of mikdash is ratzon. Right? Ratzon yireh The foundation of the base of mikdash is that we have to want it. You know, if the Jewish people hadn't wanted to donate, they wouldn't have been a Mishkan. That's an unbelievable idea, according to Rashi. Because that's exactly what the whole purpose of the Mishkan is, to elevate our Ratzon. Do we create a space here that elevates our Ratzon? If we do, then ours is the earth. And if we don't, we're missing the entire boat. Food for thought, Rabosai. Have an awesome Shabbos. Little for thinking about a pleasure.